Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is episode 99, and because it's episode 99, we're just going to mix it up a little bit. As I, If you listened to last week's episode, you will have already had a little preview to what we're doing today. Uh, Rick Morton is here with me because Dr. Karen is uh, taking a little break. She's, uh, she's not able to join us today. So I have with me Rick Morton, who's with Lifeline Children's Services. He's an author. He does some podcasting on his own with Lifeline Defender Podcast. Um, Rick, how the heck are you today? Man, I'm great. Excited to be here with you. Look for looking forward to, uh, dialoguing with one of my uh, one of my great friends so this is uh, this is fun for us to let people eavesdrop on what we kind of do all the time anyway right absolutely no and that's what i hope <laughs> i hope it's kind of like fly on the wall in one of our normal conversations and that's what we're going to do today it's gonna be very different we don't have a, a different interview that we're going to be talking about we're going to just be talking between the two of us today asking each other questions and and neither of us know what we're going to ask each other so it's really just going to be a conversation that are on some of the big issues that we're having today because that's the only thing we know is that we told each other to just come with some questions about things that we've been thinking about, things we've been learning, and really just hopefully it will help everyone out there and hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. And if it's not, let us know. You know, let us know that this did not work. Or, hey, you got to do more of that because I think that this is something that I, I hope to do more of. You know, I want to do this with Karen sometimes. I want to do it with some other people that we can have. So so let us know. As we always ask, give us feedback. Give us some comments on thinkorphan.com. You know, we'll have the show notes for this show. You can do it there. You can do it on Facebook. Um, and uh, also rate and re- review the show. So there's that little plug that we, you know, we do every so often and we mean it. Rating and reviewing the show gets it out there to more people. Share it with as many people as you can that you think it will help, which I believe is pretty much everybody because these are issues that we all should be thinking about how we can love the orphan and the vulnerable. You know, if we're, if we're Christians, that's, that's going to be part of our heart. We're image bearers of our God. And so, uh, Rick, you know, I want, I want to kick it off with you today because this is something that I have been asked over and over. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked this in the last few months, um, about international adoption. There are so many things swirling about international adoption right now. I know with Lifeline, you guys do a lot in the world of international adoption. And uh, can you just give us a quick uh, kind of summary of what's going on, what you think's inciting the changes, and, and really how you feel about all of it? Yeah, I, I think uh, the first thing I tell you, Phil, is, is in all the years of being around the adoption community and being around international adoption, I've never seen a time that was was more – tense and more emotionally charged than what we're experiencing right now. Hmm. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of factors that we, you know, that we see around that. Um, and, and it, you know, international adoption, we, you know, for instance, we see that there's, there's really been this realization that, um, that even though I think the church has become more involved and, and like, this has become more the, um, you know, kind of the preoccupation of a lot of folks in the evangelical community. Um, correspondingly, we've seen uh, adoption numbers drop precipitously. And and there are a lot of reasons for that, I think. Um, and, and people are kind of wondering why. And they're wondering, like, how how do we make an impact? And how do we, you know, how do we how do we do well in international adoption? And, and I think um, I, I think there there also are 
you know, we're, we're asking questions about, you know, when, when is adoption the right answer and the right solution for a child? And when, you know, when is there something else that's best? Um, and, and, you know, probably in evangelicalism, we went through a phase where we assumed that, that like the first right best thing for a child was to, was to be adopted and to be brought into, into a family. And I think today, um, we, we realize that that's a more complex conversation than maybe we've, you know, been comfortable with, with having up to this point that, that, that there are, there are several competing considerations that we need to, you know, need to consider. And, and, you know, and what I would say is that, that what we can say, I, I still believe in adoption. I still believe that international adoption is, is a need for many children. And it's the best solution and the best option, uh, for children that are in, you know, that are in circumstances of brokenness and, uh, and in places of hurt. And so bringing them into a family across a culture and those things are, are the, you know, the best option for them. Uh, but it's not the only option. And, and I think, you know, we have to have to bear that in mind. I think, um, quite honestly, if, if we, you know, if we can just be transparent with each other, that, um, there is, there is more regulation, there's more, there's more red tape, there's more government oversight. Um, and I think we have to take responsibility on some level to that, that the government has become more involved and governments have become more involved in, in the process of adoption. And some of that is because, because the other people that are involved in the process have not policed themselves well. And, and so people like us, and when I say us, like, like Lifeline that are, that are adoption providers, we, you know, we have to be willing and, and we have to work with governments to create environments where, where we can all do the right thing for children. Um, but we also can sort of throw up our hands and, and, and admit our own mistakes and, 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 you know, right some of our own wrongs along the way and, and hold each other accountable in a way that we, that we know that we're functioning in, you know, in the best interest of children. And, and, and I think a lot of the conversation right now is sort of throwing stones at government. And, and what we have to realize in this is that government has one tool. They have a tool of more regulation. Mm. And so if they see something that's happening that's improper, the only thing they can do is add policy, add regulation, and, you know, and, and try to control more. And, and if we really want to see um, adoption be easier, more open um, for, you know, for families, then, then part of that is by making sure that the process is done with integrity and and that we're that we're ferreting out the nefarious people that have come around um, international adoption and 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 you know I, I wrote in No Orphans and I, I stand by this that that we have to realize there are going to be bad people that are going to get involved in international adoption mm. and it, it's because it involves vulnerable children and 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 there are people that have an agenda to prey on vulnerability and it's because there there is inevitably on some level an economic component to, to travel and, and to moving through processes and to facilitation of adoption. And, and when there, when economics come into play at all, um, you, you see the, the depravity of man rise to the surface and, and the, the wolves come out. And, and so as, you know, as believers, we really have to you know, we really have to stand to that charge to say that we're going to do things unto Christ. We're going to do things, um, you know, with godly excellence and, and, and that we're going to police ourselves in this. Yeah. And with, with that, do you, do you think that, uh, you know, a lot of people will say the government 
wants to shut down international adoption. UNICEF wants to shut down international adoption. You know, name the organization wants to shut down international adoption. Do you believe that's the case or do you believe that it's something else going on? Man, I, I think that's a complex question. That's <laughs> I think, why I, I asked it. That, and I that's think, why and I, I think asked it. <laughs> and I think it's a complex answer. And and I would tell you that that I think there are some people out there in you know some geopolitical forces that would, if they had their way, um, would shut down international adoption. And and they don't believe in. Um, they believe that that keeping a child in the culture that they that they come from is the most important value. And, and so I, I think there are there are people that believe that that is more in the in the best interest of a child than a child being placed into a family. Um, there are those of us that believe that 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 most of all and highest of all is that that we get a child to a family um, in whatever form and in whatever way as expediently as possible. And, and those of us that you know, that are that are believers in most cases, we're looking at that and, and saying, because, you know, God made children for families, right? He made families for children. And and so we believe that that should happen. But I don't think everyone who's who's in the position of, of regulating um, has that agenda. I you know, I believe and I, I believe that our our government here in the U.S. is is I believe they're trying to do what's necessary in order to um, to to make sure that children are protected. Um, and that they ferret out bad practices and fraud. Uh, but I don't believe it's the agenda of our government to to shut down international adoption. I think it's their agenda to to make sure that that bad adoption doesn't happen. And and, you know, it, it's like uh, Herbie Newell, my our executive director at Lifeline. I'm going to steal an analogy that he's used many times. It's kind of like the EPA. Right. We all agree that nobody wants dirty air. Right. Yeah. Um, but but the question is in in the regulation and in the in the creating of of a of clean air, uh, like what other things do we hurt and 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 how do we balance considerations? And I think w- with regard to protecting children in international adoption, um, many times what we find in regulation is that when we're protecting them from one thing, what we're doing is making them vulnerable to something else. Mm. And 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 so I think that's the message that we have to continue to, you know, to to give to government and to those folks that are, um, you know, that are responsible and, and that that oversee um, to to just remember that that generally to move hard in one direction and to overregulate really causes harm in another direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else on this subject that you think, you know, the audience just needs to know? Man, I, I think I, I would just say that that I think in the body of Christ, we we have to realize that international adoption has changed. Um, international adoption is it, it's about um, a much more complexity and it's much more difficult. Older children, children with special needs, um, large and complex sibling groups, and that 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 for the body of Christ to be involved in adoption and to be involved in international adoption means that that we have to be ready to do hard things. Um, and and that that families need to count the cost. Um, they don't they don't need to 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 move into this with 
you know, with a with a fairy tale mindset. But families do need to step in and adopt and churches do need to step up around families and support them. And we need to work harder to put the resources and things around families to 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 make that possible, because at the end of the day, um, our, our, our desire is that we want to bring these children into families where where they can be loved and where they can be nurtured, but ultimately where they can be um, taught to, to know Jesus and, and can can be discipled as well. And, 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 and we need to be ready to step out and do hard things in that. Mm-hmm. And with, with that, that will be something that, you know, some people out there probably ask themselves, well, would you say that a non-Christian family could adopt and should be adopting? Um, so I know I've heard some friends say, I don't think any, you know, I think only Christians should be able to adopt. And I say, well, that, that has, obviously issues with that statement, given the fact that we're in a pluralistic country and a world that isn't all Christian. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I think that, um, that the, the response that I would make to that is that, that I believe that, that our responsibility, I know the ministry that I'm a part of, we, we believe that we're, that we're called to, to put, help children to be placed into families where they're going to know Jesus first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, so I, I think to make that broad a statement and to say, you know, that, uh, you know, there should be legal protections or whatever, uh, or, or legal prohibitions against, you know, people who are not Christians, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to enter into that discussion, but I will tell you that from a convictional standpoint, um, we believe very strongly that, that our call is to, to help believing families to bring children into their homes um, to love them and to nurture them and and ultimately to um, to to present Christ to them and um, to disciple them. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important to distinguish. You know, a lot of people I know I've talked with in different settings have said, oh, so you basically just want to bring them in and brainwash them. And 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 it's like, no, it's it's. If you're truly Christian, you're truly living out the Christian life, you're going to love them well. You're going to love them, you know, as Christ is modeled for us. And it's going to be a, a, a setting where you are going to train them up in the way. You're going to train them up to know the Lord because that is the truth. And we believe that is the truth. And, you know, I think it's it's a distinction that is very important for people to understand when they're hearing what you said. Because what you're not saying is we're going to come in and make every child believe this or we're going to kick them out. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, like you said, to see Christ, to give them the opportunity to know Christ by seeing Christ lived out in in the house every day. Same we do with our biological children, you know, is to be able to, to love them in a way that shows them Christ and disciples them in that because we do believe it's the truth and that's something that we have a conviction. And if we don't do that, then we are not really truly loving them in that way. Is that, I mean, I, I don't want to put Absolutely. words into your mouth. No, no, I, that, no, that's, that's beautifully stated. And I, I think the, you know, the thing that we're, that we're trying to see accomplished is we want children to be placed into families where families are lovingly pursuing Jesus and, and that kids get to see the authenticity of a relationship with Christ. This isn't about, you know, placing a child in a place where they're going to be brainwashed or where they're going to be, you know, where they're going to be pushed um, in a direction of how to live, but but it's more that the children will be loved and and they'll be valued and and they'll be poured into mm-hmm. by a family who who genuinely lives and 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 breathes their faith and and that that a child will begin to you know to follow Jesus and commit their lives to Jesus not because they're being pressured, um, but more because. 
um, you know, because they they see the reality and the authenticity of faith for themselves. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, transition to the next uh, you know question. And I'm gonna, I'm going to throw it out. What do you got for me? What do you, dude, what do you I, got? Bring it on, dude. Yeah. So so I here's the question. I I think in you know in in your book in Pursuit of Orphan Excellence and and in many conversations that we've had about about best practices in in caring for orphan vulnerable children. Um, I, I would ask you, what is the one thing that you look at today in, in this world of care for orphan and vulnerable children that if you could make the decision and snap your fingers that you would say today, this needs to go away? Wow. Do you mean in the actual care or in organizations or is that a just generic like it that could is be the any gen- of it? That is a generic over because I know you've thought broadly and deeply about yes. about all angles of this. And, and what is the thing above all else that kind of keeps you awake at night and and kind of kind of drives you to say that mm-hmm. if I were if I were the one who could could make the decision, I would do this differently or I would stop this today. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's a big reason why we're doing this show and it's a big reason why I do so much of you know what I do. It's the infighting, the divisiveness, the, uh, the egos and pride that people have that they want the credit for what their organization is doing, quote unquote, or for, you know, how they're doing it differently than everybody else, how they're doing it better than everybody else. Um, you know, in the context of Beck's practices, we want to have the conversations of how we can all do it better. But if I could snap my fingers, I would take away that that infight and that pride, that that ego, that that, you know, the lack of unity. And I talk so much about, you know, this with so many people. How can we collaborate? How can we work together? It's not just a pitch. It's not just my one trick pony thing that I talk about all the time. It's real that we all have our lane that we can do really well. And we all have the, you know, we're uniquely positioned to do certain things. We have gifts and talents personally and corporately as organizations. We have gifts and talents that we can do better than everyone else. Jim Collins talks about it all the time. You know, that what, what are you, what can you do better than everyone else in the world? If we stuck to that and helped everyone else do what they do better than everyone else in the world better, we'd be so much better. It'd be so much more fun. We could do so much more work than pitching our thing out there because how much time do we spend marketing why we're better what distinguishes us from somebody else rather than knowing that really working hard to do that but also celebrating everyone else's gifts and talents celebrating what everyone else is doing actually having conversations and discussions with other organizations what are our common goals what are why are we doing this What's the kingdom goal that we have together and how can we do it better together? If you can't tell, I'm a little excited about this because this is something that, uh, you know, it actually seems like I knew this was coming because I love the question and I love thinking about it. It does keep me up at night. It does keep me going every day. It's why I spend so much time connecting with people and trying to connect people with people. If you call me and you say, Hey, here's what I do. I'm going to give you five people that you need to connect with. And then I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to actually connect you with them. Why? Because that will make you better. And that will make the other person better. And that is what I think if it went away, if, if the disunity, if the, if the, if the competition in the kingdom 
went away and we actually worked together towards a common goal and a common vision and that, that kingdom vision that we truly believe in, the, the actual kingdom vision that orphan and vulnerable children will be loved as God loves them, that we will be his hands and feet for the kingdom in loving these children with excellence as he loves them. Wow. That, that, that's what I, that's, that's what I think would go, what I would love to see. That's beautiful. Uh, go away. That's beautiful. I, man, I, you know, and I, I expected absolutely nothing different from you. Um, because everybody that knows you knows, um, how passionately, um, you engage with, with people and friends and the way that you connect people and, uh, and help people move beyond, uh, personal agendas and selfish agendas and, and I think, you know, we, we, there, there are just a lot of us that really strive and, and want to want to be a part of this work in, in a way that we're able to leave our logos and egos at the door. Um, and that we're able to really come together and, and to purely collaborate for, um, you know, for, for bigger ends and for, you know, really for kingdom goals. And so, man, I appreciate that so much about you and, uh, and, and I'm so thankful um, to have been the beneficiary of that. And so let me just, let me just say that, you know, publicly, um, to the folks that are listening that, that Phil really does mean what he says. And, and as you connect with him, I can guarantee you that he's going to, he's going to connect you to other people, um, that, that can, that can help you in, in the journey of what God's called you to do. Well, thanks for that, brother. I know it truly is my pleasure. It like, I get so much joy um, I'm psyched. My friend, uh, Peter Greer putting out the book rooting for rivals. I haven't even read it yet. I, I have no doubt it's going to be one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Cause that's another dude who lives it out. That, that guy will cheer you on. Um, if you do the exact same thing that he's doing and you're successful and you're getting awesome money that, you know, could actually go to their organization. He would cheer you on as if it's him succeeding. And that's the stuff that for gets sure. me psyched. For um, sure. how would you answer that question? Man, um, I think that I, I think very similarly. Um, I, I think also, you know, just to, to refine that a little bit is to is to say that that I, I do think we tend to silo ourselves a little bit and, and we we tend to to look at at maybe one way of accomplishing this goal or, or so you're an adoption person or you're a family based care person or you're a you know, foster care and reunification person, or, you know, you're, you're an institutionalization person or whatever. And, and that, and that in the way that we, that we have these conversations, we sort of huddle up in camps and, and don't, and really don't even regard each other. And, and, and the truth is that, that I really have come to a way of thinking that, um, and, and this may be a little controversial, Phil. So th- this may be the thing that you get a little mail over. Um, Maybe will is, this go viral? So, but but I but I really do believe I. You know, I think w- when we look at this theologically, and, and I've told you, man, I'm a guy with a Bible. Uh-huh. Um, that that Jesus, you know, Jesus said, "Look, you're going to have we're going to have the poor with us always." You know, wh- what was he saying? What he, what he's what he's telling us is is that 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 this side of the fulfillment of of his kingdom there's there's always going to be mess that's caused by the brokenness of the fall and and its effect on this world and and so for any of us to to from a position of superiority to say that our solution is the 
one, and it's the best always in every case, is to be really disingenuous. Because because the truth is that all of our best solutions still fall fall short. Yeah, they 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 still have they still have problems. They still have gaps. And and the and and the truth is that many times it's it's a continuum of things that really serve a child well. And it might be you know institutionalization for you know for uh, for an issue in you know for a, a a bit and then transitional care in a foster home and then permanence in an adoptive family or in reunification you know with their birth family but but the truth is that it's not there's not one right solution it's all of us holding hands and playing well together and and figuring out the appropriate places for all of those solutions to fall mm. realizing that we're never going to get this thing 100% right um and 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 we're never going to be perfect in our approach this side of um Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom and eradicating the brokenness that we experience around us yeah, that's why I love talking with you, Rick, because you take what I do say and you refine it, like you said, and you make it better. <laughs> so that's why I love hanging out with you. Now, you know, I, 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 the one thing that we talked about in there, you know, a lot of, I mean, what that, what does both those answers come down to? Those are humility. As I'm listening to you talk, yeah. as I kind of think over what I, what I said, it's, it's like, it's humility. It's to say, you know, we know what we do really well. We know what God has given us the ability to, we know our source, right? And we're not right. going to take any of that and say, I'm doing this. No, God's doing it through us. God gives us all the ability to do it. So if we're going to say, we're going to take that and just go do it for ourselves, like that's not only um, arrogant and prideful, it's just, it's just like selfish. And it's, it's so not right. And it's so not consistent with scriptures. You say you're a guy with the Bible, which is going to bring me to this next question I have. Because I know we could talk about that, what we just talked about forever, but I want to move on because this is something that's been really just, just really uh, getting to me lately is the, uh, I say cheapening it with the Bible, the, 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 the truth of scripture is being challenged by the Christian, you know, people professing Christians, you know, things I've seen on Twitter lately, a right doctrine with the wrong heart is the wrong doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know, to hear the right heart usually makes it way to right doctrine. You know, experience trumps scripture. People saying that they're questioning the inerrancy of scripture. They're saying that, that, uh, you know, it's just the principles that of scripture that are important, but not to take it as absolute truth. I know you have some strong feelings about this. Like I do. I want to hear <laughs> why it is, is the inerrancy of scripture essential and why, and why is truth so important? Yeah, man. Well, if we don't have truth, what do we have? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I think the the thing is that we, you know, we've come through, we've come through a generation and, and this is going to be a really weird answer. So just bear with me, but we, you know, we came through a generation in, in the kind of the modernist period where, where logic and reason was everything. And like logic and reason was deified. And so so we we lived this existence. We were taught this existence in school and everywhere else. The 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 world that you and I grew up in, where where we were taught, man, if you just give the scientific method enough time, it's gonna like you're gonna figure everything out. Um be, because because truth exists. Mm-hmm. 
well, we've now moved to a world where people have been so disappointed by the fact that 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 didn't work, hmm. that we couldn't reason our way out of our problems, that we didn't that we didn't really get better, that we just ended up back in the same messes and in the same brokenness and and in the in in the same trials. And so but but what that's led to is is a is a, a, a wholesale saying, well, well, then if we couldn't think and reason our way out of our problems, then truth doesn't really exist. And so therefore, truth is is just is just a movable construct. It's something that's defined by society or it's or it's it's based upon what what I believe and what I what only what I believe for myself and and not determined by anybody or anything outside of me. And, and we and we've given up on truth. Well, well, man, I, I just would say to you that that just because we've given up on truth, it doesn't mean truth doesn't exist. Mm. And and God has declared himself. God has made himself known through his word. Um, God has given to us everything that 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 we need in the scriptures. It's sufficient and it's efficient for us to know him and and for us to pursue him fully. Yeah. All of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and so, and, and, you know, and, and maybe I'm just, you know, a redneck, but, 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 but the, but the redneck theologian in me says, when we begin to take bricks out of the wall, how do we know what bricks to take out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how do we not look, how do we look back at God? If we believe that God really is sovereign, if we really believe that God is all that, that he says that he is and, and all that we know that he, he needs to be in order to be God, how do we look back at that and say that our wisdom and our judgment is better than what's been handed down to us by the creator. And, and, you know, and we look at the protection of the canon and the way that the scriptures have passed from generation to generation. Um, and, and, and as we see that, we see that there's, there's something supernatural about the way that God has, has given his word and protected his word. And we just need to honor that. Yeah. And, and so, and, and so dude, like we, we don't have to like it all. But 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 I do believe we have to you know we have to see it as truth and 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 when you start to take bricks out of the wall things like you know things like orphan care can go away too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know I've said to people for a long time you look at James one twenty seven and the issue that we have in the church is that that sometimes we don't look at the first half of the verse and the last half of the verse in the same way. You know, you, you, we see that widows and orphans stuff and 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 we look at that and say, man, that's just for a group of people in the church. That's just for a team of people to go over and do. But but if you were to stand up in most of the pulpits and conservative evangelical churches in America and say that whole keep oneself unstained from the world thing, that personal holiness, mm-hmm. like we don't have to do that. People would throw you out. Right. And and so so I think, you know, we can point out and sort of point to the finger of of others and say, man, why have you guys let truth slip away? Why have you changed the way that you that you you approach the scriptures? But I, what I would say to you is, I think for us, the warning is, let's look back at ourselves and say, how how are we continuing to pursue God? How are we viewing the scriptures? And and where are we drawing our authority? And, and for me, um, I'm I'm neither I'm neither big enough, smart enough, nor capable enough. Um, to 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 be that authority, absolutely. Now, and uh, when you talk about the bricks, I use the dam example. I mean, if you take a, if you have a tiny little leak in the structural integrity of a dam, it's it's done. And in the same way, if you take one thing out of scripture, it's done. Its authority ceases to be there for 
uh, for what it is and what's it intended to be. Because, you know, and Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, people talking about what, you know, Andy Stanley recently talked about the Old Testament need to be unhinged from the New Testament. Now, he could have meant a lot of different things by that. But let's just he's not you know, if he didn't actually mean that somebody else has said that and somebody else thinks that. And absolutely what I'll say is, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount for crying out loud, I did not come mm-hmm. to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Not one iota can be taken away from it. Right. And and why is that? Well, because if if that's gone, if you say, well, that needs to come out, like you said, what's to stop you from taking out the next thing and the next thing? And who are you to say if somebody else doesn't like something else? And, you know, as I've said to people, you know, you and I, we're not, we're just the messenger. We're not making it up. It's there. Now, people say, well, I interpret it differently. I this, I that, you know, there's all kinds of things. But when people say it's not for me to judge, that's simply not true about what scripture actually Mm. says about judging. Mm. It says, you know, by the measure you judge, you will be judged. Mm -hmm. Right. Scripture is the measure. Now we need to interpret it. We need, we can have conversations about that. Like how do you interpret that passage? But to do hermeneutical gymnastics, as I talk about, to, to, to start interpreting things in ways that really aren't what they say, but they're what they want you to, it to say. Um, that's the slippery slope that you're, that we're going to go down. And it's really been, I've been so burdened by this lately um, because, you know, I keep asking, you know, what's my role in it? You know, who am I to judge? Well, God has given me a brain. God has given me thinking. God has given me the Bible to read and to discern what it means. And if somebody's doing something that I believe in my heart of hearts based on my interpretation that's sin and that's wrong and that will lead them to a path to hell, that's the wide path, right? The path to hell right. is the wide path. That's the easy path. If it's leading them down there, how loving is it for me to say nothing or to say, you know what, that's no big deal. If I truly believe that that, that, that is something that will lead them there, it's not love to let him do it, right? So how, how do we do that in a, in a world that does think differently? How do we do that? Now, if it's somebody who says they're not a Christian, well, that's a different conversation. But if someone who says, I'm a Christian, I believe this book, but I don't like that part. Well, that's just not consistent with what, you know, I, like you said, the, the orphan and vulnerable children part, the whatever part, right? The Jesus is the only way part. I don't like that because I have some Muslim friends. Well, the Bible is going to offend some people. It's going to offend a lot of people. And, you know? and I think and I think that's very true, Phil. I think that the thing that we want to do is we we want to let the Bible and we, we want to let the gospel be the offensive thing. We don't want to be the offensive. Right. Thing. And, and I, I think that's the place where where many times we we put ourselves in a place of sort of, um, you know, sort of co-opting God's sovereignty mm. and 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 placing ourselves thinking too highly of ourselves. And, you know, it, it feels like the whole the whole thread of this conversation has been about humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, th- I think, you know, in this, this is another one of those things where, you know, where there's, where there's great humility in this to say that, you know, that, that we, you know, we desperately love people. Um, but, but we also, you know, we also trust and value the sovereignty of God. And, and so, um, so, so we are, we're going to, you know, we're going to lovingly and winsomely say, um, the, the, the things that we say, that doesn't mean that we're going to back off. It doesn't mean that we're going to change. It doesn't mean that we're going to drop our convictions, but what it does mean is that we're going to be people that, that reflect who Jesus is, um, and, you know, into, into this world. And that's, man, that's, you know, to kind of bring it full circle. I think that's why things like orphan care are so important. 
Mm. Because ultimately, you know, we're a world where a world looks at us in many cases and what we do in orphan care and says, why would you do that? Why? Why would you risk what you risk? Why would you give up what you give up? Why would you why would you extend yourself and open yourself to things? And, you know, and at the end of the day, the only credible answer that we can give is because of what because of what Jesus has done for us. Hmm. Who are we not to give? Who are we not to stretch? Who are we not to, you know, to love in a way? Because because at the end of the day, um, we we just we want to be like our Savior. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, and that's something that you know. Sometimes I think too. I know with me, I can only speak for me and how how I internally feel. I'm so passionate about it. I care so much about people and others. And I care so much about that. Sometimes it comes across as, like you said, um, offensive, right? Sometimes people think like I'm too intense. I'm too harsh, whatever the word. And, you know, that is something that we all need to be careful about, right? Because if the message and the tone and the way it's delivered is offensive, that will never be heard. And, um, as you, especially as you want it to be heard. And as they say, you know, what you win people with, you're going to win people too. Right. You know, so Mm -hmm. we need to have the truth, but the love is absolutely critical. Love without truth is not going to do it. Truth without love is not going to do it. We need to do the truth in love. And, um, you know, that's something that, that is, that is so critical and something that's the different, one of those is going to be more challenging, most likely to Mm -hmm. you. Sure. Very few people are right in the middle and perfectly give truth and love. Um, and so I think that's something that we also need to continually be thinking about. But uh, all right, we got we got to move on. We're we're g- uh-huh. got a little we got a, not too much time left. So I want to make sure, you know, that that all these are things we could talk about for hours and hours, which is hard. But uh, hopefully it's going to start some conversations. And, you know, if you folks out there are like rub the wrong way or, or want to, you know, totally disagree with us. I want to hear it. I want you to bring it, bring it to us and let us know so we can have these conversations, continue these conversations offline. Hopefully you'll continue these conversations offline with other, some other people as well. But uh, Rick, you know, next question. Yeah, man. So um, in, in working cross-culturally, um, what, what are the things that you have learned that, that maybe we add to best practices or even add to the gospel that are that are really mainly things that you've learned are trappings of our own culture, things that are our own preference or our mm-hmm. own. Like how has how is interacting with people in other cultures exposed some of those things for you? Mm. Yeah, I think that, you know, when helping hurts sums it up pretty darn well. Um, I was laughing with my wife, when I was reading it, I said, oh, finally, the book that I wanted to write, now I don't have to. Um, so that, I think, is a good summary. But some of the things that, that I've really learned are you can speak a language and completely miss the point in the conversation of what someone's telling you. You can have an interpreter that translates the words, but you can miss completely what somebody's telling you. Um, and speaking to you and communicating to you. And we assume things based on our own culture, whatever that culture is. We have our norms. Um, 
U.S. assumes probably more than a lot of places because we think oftentimes that we're more educated, we have more knowledge, we have more whatever. Um, and, you know, when I came into this initially, I, you know, I struggled with some of that kind of God complex coming in. And I still do to a certain extent. I'm not perfect. I'm not completely transformed. But I think that I've come a long way in that. And God has transformed my heart and renewed my mind in that in a lot of ways. Um, but so much of it is from that understanding and seeking to really understand. But even, uh, the other day I had a conversation with somebody about that, exactly what I just talked about. And, and it really brought the importance of getting an interpreter who actually knows the culture to be able to come with you on any trip. You go anywhere. If you really want to, and need to really, really, really understand what's going on, that's absolutely essential. Um, and something that I think would help us so much when we're talking with different people. I think it's a bit easier when working with children because children usually are say what they mean and mean what they say, especially younger mm. ones. But I think as you get older and we get more guarded and we get more, you know, less vulnerable in our, in our conversations and in our relationships, um, it's so important to know when somebody doesn't say something that could be just as important as what they say and how they say something and how they don't say something and how they respond to the question with their body. I mean, all those things are culturally relevant, right? To yeah. know, you know, some of the gestures you don't make in certain places, you know, those are things that are the easy things, but the hard things are, you know, as it's hard to know, you know, you know, I know with my wife, with Becca, I know when she doesn't say something in a certain way with a certain movement, she means something. When she says something a certain way in her certain tone, how are you doing? Okay. You know, that's not okay. Right. Like I need to go a little deeper um, to know other things, not ask a question at a certain time because of what's happened or where they're at. So these are all things that I think are, are very important and cross-cultural to not just seek to understand the language and to, to get fluent in Spanish, so to speak, which is something I really want to do. That's important, but that's not that's not taking you all the way where you need to go. And I think that goes all the way to understanding people. Um, the other thing about that I've really learned more and more and the simplicity of it is it could sometimes get lost. Um, it's, it's hard to do and it takes a lot, a lot of time, but the simplicity of when you're going to any country in the world, any culture that's different. If you're going to inner city, if I'm going to inner city, San Francisco, two hours from my house, that's a different culture, right? When you're going into these cultures, treat it the same as you would just getting to know any other new friend in any setting, right? In your, in your own neighborhood, when you get to know somebody, you don't assume things about them. Usually, mm -hmm. hopefully not. Maybe some people do. But usually if someone moves in next door to you, you're not going to make, you know, all kinds of rash judgments um, about, you know, them being totally different than you. And maybe if you do that, I challenge you not to do that. But let's, let's assume that, you know, most people aren't going to do that in your own neighborhood if someone's coming over for dinner. What are you going to do? You're going to get to know them. You're going to mm. really find out who they are. You're not going to ask what you can do for them. You're not going to ask what project they need at their house. You're not going to ask them, you know, or you're not even going to be thinking in your head, like, what are all the things that I need to do for this person? You're going to get to know the person. 
right? And in that relationship, you're going to be doing a lot of things, whatever it may be. If you, the, depending on how close that relationship is, you're going to be doing different things for each other over time. But to really get to know somebody, you need to understand them. And to understand someone, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes it sometimes takes a mediator as well or, you know, somebody to be able to come in and help you get there. And that's okay too sometimes, you know, if you need to kind of microwave it a little bit, you know? Um, and so that's kind of, you know, I, I hope that answers the question because there's a million things I've learned, but I think yeah. that if you bring it in and kind of distill it down to the, what is something that I really want? Like if you give me that one thing that you really got to know, um, that's kind of what I'd say. That's awesome, for sure. How about you? Because I know you've you've you know you're the world traveler, um, and your books are international <laughs> sensations. That um, you know, best selling book on you know orphanology ever written. So you know, what what are your thoughts on that? Man, I think you just made some stuff up, but that's awesome. <laughs> um, I I think you know, I I think I draw, and and some of this is drawing from having. Um, you know, from having older Ukrainians who've become part of my family too, is is realizing that there there is a there is a depth, and we we've kind of joked. I mean, Ukraine has become like second home to us. Um, but with my Ukrainian friends, I, I joke with them that the more time I spend in Ukraine, the less I understand. Hmm. You know that that when when you really dive deep. Um, that that what you know what you really begin to understand is that there there is really only so much that you can identify with and translate and there there are some things that are just kind of beyond um, it, it's like peeling an onion man it's like the, the the depth to which and and I think I think that many times we're just not careful we're not we we and and as Americans. We are so we, we are so results oriented and success focused that that we forget to dive deep. Hmm. And, and so we pass over relationship. We pass over knowing um, we 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 pass to because we because we believe at the end of the day that that the result of a project is more important than a person. Um, and. You know, and 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 like to come back to the theological is, man, Jesus didn't die for a project. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus died. Jesus died for people. And so just that reminder over and over and over again that that culturally um, like the biggest thing that I need to do is is to invest in relationship and to and to ask questions and to not to not assume and not and and to. Um, and, and, and to, and to bear with in great humility. Love it. Love it. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to ask you something. Um, I'm sure you've been asked before. I'm sure you've thought about a lot. Like, why do you do what you do? You could be doing so many other things. You could make a lot more money. You have gifts, talents, education, experience, um, you could be doing a ton of different things. Why do you do what you do? Man, it's, it's a, um, it, it is a very deep calling of God. I, I believe as much as I believe anything else that, um, that the Lord has, 
has shaped me, that he has given me experiences, that he's that he's created and cultivated in me a heart to do what it is that I do. And 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 I think the greatest evidence of that is I haven't quit yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, be, Have you ever think, looked on job boards? Wow, you've been doing it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we yeah, we all course. I mean if, yeah. if you if you haven't if you say that you haven't, you're a liar. Right. You got a bookmark, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Because <laughs> because the you know, but the truth is that I think where, you know, where there there are those there are those moments, those difficult times, those, you know, if you want to call them dark nights of the soul or whatever, where where the only thing that you know for sure is the ability to go back to those places of calling and those places of conviction and knowing that God has has you know irrevocably called you out for something and and has and has led you into something. You know, I tell adopted parents that all the time that you know have have a sense of certainty. Know know that you know that you know that God has called you to do this and that and that 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 you are that you are in the center of God's will and in, in what you do in adoption because because there are going to be moments in the in the difficulty and the stickiness of of the journey that that in our in our own selves and our flesh, man, we're going to want to quit. Mm-hmm. And and why don't we quit? We we don't quit because because there's something bigger than ourselves, um, and there's there's gospel purpose in doing what we're you know doing what we're 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 called out to do. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think you know for me, I mean, I know there's a you know there's a, even a bit of a, a debate in you know in 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 Christian circles about, you know, the, the ends and, 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 and what is it that we're actually trying to do? And, and, and I believe at the end of the day that our, you know, our, our first calling in orphan care is to, is to care genuinely and, and authentically for orphan and vulnerable children and to seek their best. But we do it not just because we love them, but we do it because we love Jesus and we want to point people toward Jesus and we want people to know Jesus. And and we believe that what we do um, not only does good temporally, but it but it but it points people in a supernatural way to a truth um, that they might not otherwise know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I know. And that that's something that. Uh yeah, I, I answer very similarly. I mean, honestly, it makes no sense from the worldly perspective. In the context of the kingdom, doing what I do, I mean, I could be doing a lot of different things. Um, but every time I think about doing something else, God reminds me over and over in different ways, different times, different times. He brings different things to encourage me and, and really confirm um, it's not necessarily audible, but it's about as close to audible as it gets sometimes mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not done with, I'm not done with you in this yet. Yeah. And maybe it, it might be the rest of your life. It might be another six months. It might be six weeks. It might be whatever, but, uh, you know, and so every time it comes to that, but several people ask, you know, the same question I said to you, have you looked at job boards? Have you thought about doing something else? Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you kidding? This stuff's brutally hard. This stuff's not easy. It's not like people are giving him, not like you get kudos in the, I mean, it's like, this stuff's hard, you know, and you're dealing with human lives and it's messy right. and it's exhausting and, you know, and that's for a people person, you know, um, I love people. I love hanging out with them. I love seeing people flourish and helping people flourish. But a lot of what we're dealing with is not flourishing. It's the exact opposite. Right. And we can come right. in and into the brokenness and see hope and see the future and to see, you know, like I say, and in pursuit, you know, we get to do this. We get to work with 
Christ to make all things new, to bring shalom. If you see that little bit of shalom that you're bringing to something because mm. God has put that in you into that situation, man, nothing like that, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, man, I, I, I and I, I hope people out there, as you're hearing this, like, this encourages you if you're in that valley, if you're in that rut, if you're in that wilderness. I, I'm just coming out of one of those. Um, I thought, you know, I might be done, you know, fundings, funding issues, other things. And then God puts in pursuit of orphan excellence on an in cap display in my public library of the thousands of books that could be there to say, Phil, I'm not done with this. This is a part of the library I never go to. Mm -hmm. And I happen to see it in that valley. Those silly little things like that that say, you know what? I know you need this right now and I'm not done with this and you're not done with it either. Whether you like it or not, you're not done with it either, you know? Um, So speaking of reading, speaking of libraries, I did not intend that segue. That is how unscripted yet incredibly seemingly scripted this show is. What have you been reading and listening to lately that... uh, well, you mean outside of In Pursuit of Orphan Outside, well, I know you read I, that every I, three weeks like, just to remind just, you of what yeah, it says. I just keep it on the corner of my desk of and kind of keep it on. Well, we know that. That's probably most people, but um, except my wife. She still hasn't read it, but um, <laughs> I just totally called her out literally to the world, so that's fantastic, but um, that's okay. I, I love her, and she loves me, so we're good. Um, so what have you been listening to or reading, watching yeah, that's so, really been uh, impacting you lately? So, um, have, have been working through several books. Um, but, but the one, and this is actually an old book, so this is not, this is not new to the world, but it's new to me. Um, a book entitled divided by faith, uh, by Michael Emerson and, uh, Chris Smith, uh, with the national study for youth and religion now at, in, uh, in Notre Dame and, and really just looking at, at their research and, and their work as sociologists, looking at the, the divide between, um, between the white evangelical church and the African-American church and, and, and just institutionally the ways that we see ourselves held apart. Um, and just really honestly, man, if I, if I can just be transparent with you, just really wrestling with um, and that's probably part of where the question came from that I, you know, that I gave you about the cultural thing in, in working cross-culturally is realizing just how much, um, we have added things to our, our, even sometimes our view of the gospel that are, that are things of preference and, and elements of culture mm. and how much those things hold us apart um, but how profoundly unaware we are of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so just really, um, you know, considering, and, and I would encourage folks that are out there, if you have an opportunity to, uh, with our friends at the ERLC and their MLK 50 conference and, uh, just such a great wealth of godly wisdom on, on the subject of race. And then, um, the gospel coalition this year and, and the, the focus on, um, and, and, and the way that sort of took a turn again at looking at, uh, at the need for reconciliation, uh, in race and how that affects, how that, how that relates to holiness is, uh, is profound. But that, that book has been, um, really an eye opening journey at just looking at the, at the stark data of, um, of, of how we, 
how we separate and divide ourselves in, in an arena of life that should point and, and should drive us to unity. Wow. That seems like a pretty uh, solid book considering what we've been talking about today. Absolutely. I would, I would highly recommend it. And it's, like I said, it's a book that's been around since uh, the early 2000s, but, uh, but the research still holds and, and it's still very valuable. What type of book do you read most? Is there one? Oh man. Um, you know, uh, read a lot of, you know, business leadership kinds of things. Um, I'm still a little bit of a research nerd. And so I'll, uh, I, I read, I find myself reading, you know, journal articles about things that, you know, social science research and things that are, uh, probably not of much interest to a lot of people, but they kind of geek me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I will completely from, from a, like throwaway time perspective. I am a John Grisham nut. And so, um, so have, have grown up and kind of cut my teeth, um, since early college years on, on Grisham. And, uh, and so anytime I kind of look forward to that time every year when he puts a new one out. Yeah. I remember I'm, I'm, you're, you're way older than I am. So, um, (laughs) that's, uh, I remember in, in high school when I picked up, um, the firm and it was back when I was going to, you know, really wanting to be a lawyer and read that, I think in a day maybe. And then I actually got the Pelican brief at the library at my high school and read that in less than a day. So I, you know, we have that in common too, which, you know, which, which we did not know before this. I love finding out new things. Yeah, about our ab- guests. absolutely. This is, this absolutely. is great. I don't know that I've read everything that he's written cause he's written some kind of random books, but, but all of his like typical novels, I know that, that I've read there, you know, for the most part, really, really good. And I like the diversity of them too. It's not the same thing every time, which is nice. And so, I really like, I like the oddball ones too. Like, mm-hmm. Calico Joe and uh, and playing, playing for pizza. For pizza. Yeah, they play for pizza. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that, uh, that was one of my favorites. So that yeah, was good. I don't know. That I read Calico <laughs> Joe. I'll check it out. So, um, all right, you got one last shot to make this this episode go viral with some crazy question that's oh, going to really wow. be hard and you know totally like you know you know controversial and going to make basically make it so no one's going to listen to the podcast anymore. So you have that chance right now to do it or it can be, Man, you know, why do I like love my I, wife? I you know, really you like I ask. Like I have a I have a question that I want to I want to ask you in front of the world is like what is it going to take to get you to like real football? Ooh. Um I I actually enjoy American football. Um <laughs> I, I do. I do. It's just, it's, it's the, if, if, if I could, if there could be an app that you could take out the commercials and the break, I, I'm just, I have a very short attention span. I'm not going to lie. And some people would say that, how do you like the real football? Well, I, by the real football outside of America, that is the sport known as soccer, um, in, in our, in our country which I love dearly, but that's one area that, you know, it, 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 it makes more sense to call it football. I'm just going to say that, you know, to the world, um, that, uh, <laughs> it's fast paced, you know, you got to play it to really appreciate it. So I will say that I get that same thing with golf. It's really hard to watch golf if you don't play the sport. Um, but, uh, when you play it and you understand the skill and the amazing thing of a 50 yard pass on the foot, soft, like a pillow. I know the question was about American football, but I'm still going to bring it back to, to I, you the see, other football. You have an, you I, have an inability. It you is have a bias. I'm not going to lie. 
yeah. to, to even have a, have a conversation about American football. And for a guy that lives in Birmingham, Alabama, yeah. roll tide, yeah. it is absolutely mind boggling yes. to me that someone who is yes. as, as sharp and intelligent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and well-versed as yes. you are, um, that, that I can't draw you well, over to the, you know, I dark. love it. I love, I love the, uh, the idea of football. I, I love high school football. I, the Folsom Bulldogs have been, uh, three state championships in the last 10 years, which is pretty fantastic. That's my local high school. My two of my kids go there. So that's pretty fantastic. I do love high school football. I enjoy watching college football. Um, I'm not a big, uh, you know, Alabama fan. Uh, I, you know, I'm in pack <laughs> pack 12 country, which has had some, you know, it's been up and down, but, uh, it's different football i i will tell you i will tell you i did win uh an sec championship intramural football at vanderbilt um so you know that's something um that when we were in law school that was pretty fantastic we did take down now this is starting to we're going off the wheels are coming off right now folks if you're still listening um this is this I is just want people to this know is what, fun. what we really do man this is this is us right this here. is and we did have to do this at some point but i will tell you that i was uh, you know and i don't normally toot my own horn but i will tell you that flag football was one of my gifts that's one of my spiritual gifts i'm convinced is <laughs> quarterbacking flag football because then you can be short and quick unlike actual tackle football with the pads and really tall offensive linemen when you're five foot eight for those of you who don't know me I am not tall never been accused of being tall at any point of my life I've been always been short so quarterback was not an option for me with pads and really tall people in front of me I know Doug Flutie made it happen but I was not uh, as fortunate as him to get the breaks that he got but anyway Folks out there, this does have something to do with it because real football, global football is a great lesson of leadership, as is American football. You can learn a lot of leadership skills to be able to understand uh, teamwork, unity. You know, a football play cannot work unless everyone's on the same page, unless you get really lucky. Um, street football where you say go to the car and, and cut right, that doesn't work in the the big boys uh, game. So, um Anyway, for those of you out there, I love American football. Got some great friends who are playing the game. And I, I, my brother went to college to play. He was phenomenal. I wasn't fast enough or big enough or strong enough to play. So that's, you know, there may be some bitterness that, that's just lodged deeply in me that I wasn't as good as my big brother. That could be there. So Ryan, if you're listening, um, I don't think that's the case, but Rick is, Rick's my counselor right now, apparently, and it's all coming out. So anyway, um, folks, is there, is there any other real question you have? Um, that was a real question and that was a legitimate question. So that was fair. Definitely absolutely. caught me off guard because I talked way too long and that's a good indication that you, I was not expecting that. That, that question at all. Um, but is there anything else before we close yeah, up the, I, I the think, conversation? Um, Phil, what's, what's the, what's the next contribution that needs to be made to this community? What's the thing that hasn't been done, that hasn't been written, that hasn't been said that, that we need to explore, um, to, to more fully chase what God has given us to do in this community in, in, in orphan care. Wow. That is a, that's a tough question. Cause so much has been done so much really, really good. I, I think it's, um, 
something that we really need to do that hasn't been done is something I think we're working towards and something that I think all the other things that we've talked about today are working towards. And that is having um, the interconnected work that we're, that we're doing in siloed fashion as the church to have true unity in the work that we're doing. Um, and I know it sounds kind of amorphous and it sounds like, you know, utopian to really think like, Oh, we can actually do this, but I'm seeing small projects. I just interviewed a woman that's going to be coming on in a, in a few, uh, few episodes later than when this is going to air. Um, and she's working with a big project that's an alliance of like five or six different NGOs that are working together for, um, to really do a lot of the family preservation work and, and discipleship work and, and, uh, anti-trafficking work and adoption and foster care and deinstitutionalization and these different things that are, they're working together to actually do it as one, all these different organizations without one organization taking the credit or getting the kudos for it. Right. So I think that that is something that if we can somehow bottle that up and make it work where we are actually doing what we're great at. And I talked about it earlier in this interview, but take it out of theory, take it out of, I wish this were happening and let's get actual projects. I know you and I are working on a book project Mm -hmm. right now. And the book project is, is something that's going to be coming out. We'll be talking more about it as it's coming out. But it's really talking about how we can do this work together and some small examples of organizations working with other organizations, the interconnectedness of all these issues that we're talking about on this show. We're going to have to put that in a book and say, you know, we need to do this. But then how can we actually come up with collaborative actual projects that we are working on that actually include government in the, in the role of, you know, we need them on board, but they're not running it. They're, it's not the government project that they're telling everyone what to do. No, everyone is bringing what they have to the table, coming up with the project together, and then actually acting out that project together, right? To, to make it not an intellectual exercise, not to make it something that we talk about, not to make it something we go to a conference and dream about, and someone up on stage says we have to do this but actual work that is done that incorporates everything that needs to be done where the church is, is, is involved with it by having all of its different organizations working together. That is something that will change the world. Um, if it's done on the micro level and the macro level, um, what that looks like, I think it does look like starting with some pilots starting with some small organization, you know, small things working together, big organizations, small organizations working together because they all bring different things to the table. I love That's it. That's what I think. I love it. How about you? Man. And you can't just um, say what you said because that's unfair. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think one of, one of those things that we really need to delve into, um, you know, we, we've, we've spent a lot of time in, and I'm going to zero in really on the adoption community more. Um, we spent a lot of time understanding trauma and understanding the, the, the role of, of trauma and how that affects kids in their development and, and, uh, you know, in, in the way that they grow. Um, 
and how to mitigate those challenges. I, I think that we've been having a lot of conversations recently about understanding and teasing out the difference between um, effects of trauma and effects of grief. And, and, and really realizing that part of the journey in adoption is, is, is progressively grieving things um, that we sort of unearth and uncover and find along the way in the journey that our kids um, kind of exp- progressively experience grief and that many of the things that we, that we sort of look at in, in the difficulties in the acting out can really be traced to um, to, to kids grieving, uh, grieving loss and, and, and the brokenness that has, has resulted in, in difference and loss. And, and so I, I think just really, really chasing and teasing that out and, and then looking for, you know, really hopeful, um, encouraging gospel centered answers, um, to, to help families walk through, um, grief, because I think many times we just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to, we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to react to it. And, and so we, um, sadly we ignore it. Hmm. Well, we could talk as, as I'm sure you're figuring out there and you're realizing from this, Rick and I could talk for hours and hours <laughs> on end. And I am so thankful this time I was able to share with you and we were able to share with others, um, and I do hope that it does uh, help others and challenge others to think deeper about some of these things um, and for us to do the same. So thanks. Thanks, Rick, for your friendship. Thanks for being on. Thanks for doing this. And I uh, hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Love you. And uh, it's been an honor. So folks out there, uh, that was so much fun. Um, and I hope it was as much fun for you guys, although I have a hard time believing that it was just because I had as much fun as you possibly can have doing a podcast episode on that one. No knocking, Karen. Karen, I have a blast with you too. But folks out there, you know, I, I do hope and pray that, that you did learn something today. I hope that you really go in, in all seriousness, go and read what Rick's written, um, with Tony, uh, Merida in orphanology in no orphans. It's some really good stuff. And I don't just say that cause he's my friend and he's sitting here on this podcast episode with me. I say that because it really is something that will help you understand these issues better if you haven't already read them. Um, so go check that out. Check out the other episode that he did with me where I was just interviewing him, um, Um, That's early on. I think it's somewhere episode 12 or somewhere around there. Um, But uh, I I, I hope that you take all of that you heard today, all that you're learning from this podcast, and you use it every day to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.